what is happening here is just wrong. And it happened to me. I was able ultimately to fight my way out of the paper bag. But other people are not able to do that. And I was given an opportunity to help other people, and I'm trying to do that. And welcome once again to Jumping Off the Ivory Tower with Prof. Julie Mack. My name's Dana Cornwall, and I'm the project coordinator at the National Self-Represented Litigants Project at the Windsor Law School. And I'm Julia McFarlane, the director of the National Self-Represented Litigants Project, which this week we learned comes second only to Justice Canada in meeting the needs of SRLs in a <laughs> recent publication of theirs. So we're very gratified. Yes. And we'd like a little of their budget, please, if that was possible. So this week we're talking about the home warranty process in Ontario, and specifically we're talking about the imbalance that happens when people go to appeal decisions made by Tarion. As so often happens, they are representing themselves, and this leads to quite an imbalance in power. That's right. We uh, learned first of all about this particular instance in which very consistently we see self-reps on one side and lawyers representing parties on the other. Early on in, in the original study, when it was brought to my attention by one of the people who will be who we, I'll be talking to in the podcast. So just a little background for people, because I think that for some people living in Ontario, they may well have seen reference to this in the newspaper. Over the last number of years, it's become a very controversial issue, but just to get everybody on the same page, Ontario provides a government-backed new home warranty program for problems that arise with workmanship in the construction of new homes, which sounds like a perfectly good idea. But there has been a lot of controversy generated over the way in which this scheme works and the way that disputes are resolved, and in particular, the way that those disputes are then appealed, as you just referred to, Dana, which go to the Ontario Licensing Appeal Tribunal, which is where we see this very, very pronounced imbalance between self-reps on the homeowner side, but representation on the building industry side. So Tarion is a monopoly agency of the Ontario government, which was originally established under the Ontario New Home Warranties Plan Act in 1976, and it regulates new home builders and includes a warranty protection for new homes in Ontario. It is the only warranty protection offered, so it's, it is a monopoly. And when Tarion receives a claim from a homeowner arguing that there's been defects in workmanship, they will make an initial decision on that claim. If they refuse it, this is just like any insurance process, then that decision will get appealed. And it will get appealed in this case to the Licensing Appeal Tribunal, where Tarium will defend its decision. And we'll hear something about that in the discussions that, that follow. Now, a very long-standing concern here is that homeowners are at a very significant disadvantage because when they want to dispute that denial of coverage by the monopoly home warranty provider, they don't have anything like the same access to expertise that Tarion and the building industry can assemble to argue against them. So people, as you know, we discuss in this interview, are already in often a financially challenging period of their lives when they've just purchased a new home. 
and to be faced with defects and then to be faced with the possibility of further costs of bringing an appeal against refusal to cover those defects on the warranty, well, you can see why this leads to an enormous amount of stress for people. So there have been numerous complaints and a lot of critique, as I said, in the mainstream media about the Tarian process. And in response to that, the Ontario government appointed Mr. Justice Cunningham in 2017 to review the process and make some recommendations, especially recommendations that would make the process more fair and accessible for homeowners, especially those representing themselves. And what we now see, unfortunately, is after a brief period of of real optimism amongst the advocates who've been working on this issue, now some real despondency because the Ontario government has introduced new legislation, which those advocates are telling us do not, in fact, implement the recommendations that would have made the process somewhat more fair and accessible for people representing themselves. So we have two conversations coming up today on the podcast. The first one is a wide-ranging conversation with a consumer advocate who has worked on this issue for many years now. Her name is Barbara Captine, and she was once herself an SRL at the Licensing Appeal Tribunal, but she's done a tremendous amount of work with government and lobbying to try to make for changes that take um, away some of the the stress and the anxiety and the disadvantage that people are experiencing without counsel. And we have a second interview then that you conducted, Dana. Yes, um, I spoke with Andy Zabo, who is uh, a self-represented litigant. Him and his partner together were representing themselves before the Licensing Appeal Tribunal, and their case ended up going on for eight years and involved multiple appearances and a lot of a lot of stress and headache. And Andy gives a kind of first-person perspective of what, it, of what it's actually like to go through this process alone. Let's listen. Hello, Barbara. It's Julie. How are you? Good morning, Julie. I'm very well, appreciative that you're going to do this for us today because I think that of all the people who could be talking to the podcast about this issue of the Tarian Agency and the Licensing Appeal Tribunal, you must be the best qualified, uh, given all of your experience with this. (laughs) And you, you and I actually, I think, first came across each other pretty early on in my research, the original research on self-represented litigants. And I realized from talking to you in those early days that a very large majority, in fact, virtually everybody who appears on one side at the Licensing Appeal Tribunal, uh, the homeowners are representing themselves and almost everybody on the other side who comprise the building industry have expert counsel. So this was the first thing, Barbara, that really struck me about this particular tribunal and the extreme imbalance. So could could you start by explaining to people why this is the case? Because there are some pretty clear structural reasons, but why are builders almost always represented by experts, but homeowners are not? Well, uh, homeowners are really uh, daunted by the cost of hiring legal experts. We would all love to have the best lawyer on the planet, but just after you've purchased a new home and you discover deficiencies in it, you don't have the extra cash around to pay the hours. Right. And these have to be experienced litigation lawyers, too, experienced in 
I guess you call it municipal law, which which this is. And lawyers quote uh, consumers anywhere from $450 to $800 per hour to even take on a case like this. And that doesn't include, it doesn't include HSP, it doesn't include the fact that homeowners have to pay this, uh, it's not a tax deductible expense, of course. And also, consumers have to often get engineers and experts who also charge hourly. To do expert reports for them as well, yeah. Even if you start out with the lawyer, as some have done, surprisingly enough, at the end of one day, you've spent $2,500. You know, a young family, you have to earn 4000 to be able to pay out uh, 2000 for just one day, and you've got nowhere because the opposing side will, of course, bring delaying motions, and so they will use their tactical knowledge to wear you down. So most people give up on hiring lawyers. So it sounds, Barbara, as if this is a very particular specialism, and presumably that is a specialism that Tarion on the other side uh, here um, can afford to, to bring in. Yeah. That most of the lawyers who work in this particular area, as I have come to learn over the years, um, are, are hired by the, um, by the building side, correct? Yes, it's a two-pronged adversarial attack against the consumer, uh, as I see it at the License Appeal Tribunal. Tarion has an in-house legal team. Their task is to look after the interests of Tarion, not necessarily the consumer. And Tarion then can choose to add the builder as an added party, and all those builders come with their own lawyers, so the consumer ends up facing a two against one. Mm -hmm. Two expert lawyers, and also... Uh, there isn't any transparency required from Tarion as to how much money they spend on legal fees fighting. On their own legal fees, yeah. Tell us a bit about the results, Barbara, because I know that there has been a little bit of a struggle trying to to get this information, but we do now know what the outcomes of these Tarion appeals are. Yes, consumers lose 85% of the time and consumers lose 96% of a certain type of appeal regarding major structural defects. All of those are lost. And, you know, Tarion knows this. They know, the builders know this. I would say if you would interview them over what they think about this process, they're quite content with it because they come out on top and they can deny claims. They know how to do it. They've got the technical and legal expertise to do it. The builders want to get off the hook uh, for paying for new home deficiencies. So everybody's happy except the consumer. There's absolutely nobody on the consumer side. So when people find that they are up against a team, as you put it, on the other side, an expert team, and they are, you know, presumably looking at a relatively small pot of money that they have available to pay for any kind of expert assistance. What are people doing? Well, that's a very key question. I can tell you myself, as a former self-represented litigant about eight years ago, it was quite a surreal experience to see the company I thought was there to defend me, my warranty company, Terry on Warranty, taking the role of an adversary against me uh, and defending the wrongdoer, the person I saw as the wrongdoer, which was the builder, who had 
constructed these uh, defects into the home. There's not a lot of explanation as to how this process will work. And these are all expert uh, uh, legal uh, people who know how to, 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 they know the way around the courtroom, let's put it that way. And the consumer has, is terrified to be in a courtroom where he doesn't know the rules, doesn't know the procedures, doesn't know the various, uh, doesn't know the case law which applies. Uh, it is a terrifying experience. And, and Barbara, I understand um, that you continue to attend hearings and as an observer um, because yes. this has become an issue that you, you have uh, really lobbied on very, very yes. strongly. And, and one of the things that happened a couple of years ago now, uh, which I remember at the time you and others were quite hopeful about, was that the government appointed Mr. Justice Cunningham to look at the entire program and to make some recommendations. And I know that there was, uh, you know, a lot of, of hope at the time, given that Justice Cunningham was talking to consumers as well as to the builders, building industries, that there would be some recommendations that would actually change the process. Um, you know, he talks in his report, just one little quote here, of the need for rules of procedure that apply to an adjudication hearing, because obviously this is still a an adjudication over over whether or not this claim could be made out. We all understand that. But that that hearing should be structured to support an accessible, affordable, and timely process with attention to the needs of self-represented homeowners. So have we got anywhere with that since Mr. Justice Cunningham's report? No. And what has happened, actually, Justice Cunningham did not recommend that... uh, carry on using the License Appeal Tribunal at all. He did not recommend that courtrooms be used at all to resolve warranty disputes. In fact, what he recommended was a complete overhaul of the new home warranty program in Ontario. He recommended a multi-provider warranty program, which is also used in some other Canadian provinces, so that each individual warranty provider would have their own dispute uh, resolution internal process, which would be transparent, so that this wouldn't be the responsibility of the courts to solve Mm. new home deficiencies. It would be the responsibility of the warranty provider, which I think makes perfect sense. Um, And Therion was to be one of many uh, warranty providers, but not the sole monopoly, as they Mm. still are. Unfortunately, the government did not follow the judge's uh, recommendations. What we're left with is many of the problems we started with. We've got still this appeal mechanism with access to the LAT. We've still got a, a warranty, a monopoly warranty provider. None of this was what Justice Cunningham recommended. Now, Barbara, I know that we've got a, a new bill that has passed on this, and this has been part of the um, the ongoing debate over this. And, of course, this is an issue that we've seen uh, have a lot of attention in both the legal and the mainstream press in the last few years. And I, wa- I want to come back to Bill 166 because that's kind of where we're ending up at this point and, and the current status play. But, but before we go there, you know, some people would say that the purpose of using a tribunal procedure for resolving these kinds of disputes 
And, you know, you could imagine this happening even if there were many independent warranty providers. The purpose of providing a tribunal as opposed to a court decision-making process is that that would be in and of itself more accessible for consumers. I mean, there's been a very long uh, history here of working on what we sometimes call administrative law, where we take matters out of the courts, put them into administrative tribunals, And the idea, I think, has always historically been that this would enable people to come without lawyers. They did not want or could not afford a lawyer. And it would also just make these more specialist systems. Now, you know, you and I have talked about this, and and I think there are a number of special problems with the licensing appeal tribunal, partly because it's a kind of rag bag of all the types of claims that don't fit into any yeah. of the other specialist tribunals. So yeah. it, in, in yeah. a way, it's, it's the kind of anti-specialist tribunal, which is, which is problematic. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, what would you say to people who say, well, the whole point of this being in a tribunal, and it could be in a tribunal even if it wasn't a monopoly and there were disputes over home warranties, the whole point of that is to make it more accessible for consumers. Yes, I, I think that's a very laudable objective. That that sounds great to me. But we say, bring it on then. I don't think anybody could sit through, and I'm only talking about the Terion appeals. I'm not talking about the tribunal's handling of other issues. Yes. These are highly complex disputes. And I haven't seen any adjudicator who has any particular expertise expertise in uh, the home building Mm. industry or or the technical aspects of construction. And I don't see how this particular application of the tribunal is either more user-friendly or less intimidating or more specialist. I simply don't see it. Mm. And I, you know, just um, because I know it's hard for a a lowly consumer like myself to be heard. You're one of the very few people Mm. who have listened, Julie. But uh, I think that one of the judges whom you know did a report about one of the complaints that was brought forward by a consumer about the license of the tribunal, Judge uh, George Thompson. And he quoted in his report that he issued in August 2016, he said this, It is hard to review such a lengthy proceeding without coming away with the serious concern about how legalistic, court-like, and adversarial the Mm. adjudicative process at the LAT has become. Now, he said has become. Maybe it didn't start out that way, but I think that what happens is that once you allow a large corporation with a lot of power and a lot of access to legal and technical uh, experts oversee what's happening there. And, uh, you know, this can get out of hand because, you know, large corporations like to protect their interests. But, Barbara, what about people who would say this is a government agency? The purpose, the intention here is to give everybody in Ontario access to home warranty protection and that that will be effectively underwritten by the government. The agency is is a government agency. Yes, Terion is supposed to be a consumer protection agency. It's not supposed to be protecting builders at all, except that uh, there are eight builders on its board, and it is heavily, it heavily under, let's put it this way, heavily understands the perspective of the builder. But the issue that you and others who work on behalf of consumers have is that it's very reflective 
in its internal structures as well as the way that these hearings actually work of the interests of the building industry. I would say that if any of us had a relative or friend, we would say, you know, why would you go there to that tribunal? So, Barbara, one of the things that the NSLP has tried to do in the last couple of years, and you, you know, have been one of the people that we've gone to for expert input on this, is to talk to tribunals, uh, including the LAT, but not just the LAT. Yeah. about ways in which they could try to pull themselves back to a model, which I think was probably how they were originally conceived, but as you said, is a long way from where many of them have wound up. That is more consumer-friendly. And one of the ways, for example, that this has happened has been that there has been more assistance and resources put out there for consumers coming to tribunals so that they would be better able to prepare themselves. Now, in the case of the Licensing Appeal Tribunal, this seems to have been a much more difficult approach to sell. Can you, can you say a little bit more about just how accessible information is for somebody who wanted to go and look just today at the website? Yeah. And, and find out how they could bring a claim. That's an interesting question, too. We've uh, looked at the, the rules of procedure, I think they call them that. They're on, on the website of the LAT. Yeah. Uh, they are obviously written for lawyers by lawyers. They are not written for members of the public. So many of us have written to the oversight body of uh, the LAT, saying you've got to make those rules of procedure more understandable mm. to, to the average consumer because even when a consumer is confronted with something he or she doesn't understand, you go to the cubicle at the LAT and you ask for an explanation of what the rules mean and they all they know how to reply is, we, we can't give legal advice. <laughs> yeah. Whereas we know that many courts across the country now face with increasing numbers of self-represented litigants recognize they can give them legal information, which is a lot of the procedural uh, information Mm -hmm. that so many people are actually looking for. Now, just to come back, Barbara, to Bill 166, because there has, uh, as of last December, been some new legislation on this, and I know that there was a lot of hope that this would actually change the way that the carry-in program worked and also the licensing appeal tribunal procedure. But as you said a few minutes ago, this actually hasn't made any difference to uh, the procedure for a consumer. So if you, Barbara, and some of the other consumers who've been so affected, badly affected by this, had a few minutes with the Attorney General of Ontario, what would you say to him should be his priority in trying to restore consumer confidence in both the Tarian scheme and the LAT? I would urge him to follow Justice Cunningham's recommendations. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. A study has been done a year long in conjunction with Deloitte. 37 recommendations for consumer protection have been made. The government has not followed them. They have put the consumer right back in the same problem we were to start with, more or less. Uh, The only thing Bill 166 changed is it will give builders a separate regulator, but Mm. it has left Terry on its monopoly. It hasn't improved transparency and accountability to the public. It hasn't answered the question, if I make a claim under the Terry on warranty, who's on my side? Who's Mm. the consumer's side? And if I go to the License Appeal Tribunal, I've got 
two lawyers against me and the adjudicator trying to do what he or she can, but I know I'm going to lose 85% of the right. time. Right, right. So, so basically, this has made no difference whatsoever to the appeal tribute, uh, process, which is exactly the same as it's always been, and as you say, a very unbalanced process for people yes. without representation. I believe that the government has cherry-picked in his report and ultimately distorted his overall consumer protection intention. So your bottom line here, Barbara, you and the other consumer advocates would be, we shouldn't be using courtrooms with traditional adversarial processes, in particular ones where there is an expert on one side and not on the other to resolve these disputes. Correct. The last thing I, I just want to ask you, and, and I often ask people on the podcast who are doing important, what I would call disruptive work, like you, <laughs> is how do you keep going and how optimistic are you that eventually your efforts will bear fruit? Well, you know, I think you share this with me, Julie. There's kind of like a motor inside you which keeps you going. You just said this is not right. What is happening here is just wrong. And it happened to me. I was able ultimately to fight my way out of the paper bag. But other people are not able to do that. And I was given an opportunity to help other people, and I'm trying to do that. And I think the work has only begun. It's just if you feel something is wrong, there's a certain type of person out there who's going to keep moving on it until they get some progress. And I guess I'm one of those, and I know you're one of those. Also, uh, Canadians for Properly Built Homes has done tremendous work over over a decade on, on these issues as well. I'd like to thank yes. them as well. Yeah. Yep. Well, Barbara, here's hoping that eventually this will be a much better system, but you've done a wonderful job today of explaining exactly what's wrong with the current system. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Julie, and thank you for you and your team's work. Very much appreciated. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, hi, Andy. Yes, hi, Ms. Gormala. Hey, you can please call me Dana. Dana, okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me today. And I know that, that you and your partner, Nicole, have fortunately been through the Tarian and the LAT process. So I'm wondering, can you first just tell me briefly a little bit about, about your case and why you made this appeal? We've been fighting Tarion for eight years. We had a whole bunch of problems with our house, and it went through uh, four major renovations. The sightings were replaced for the fourth time in eight years. And so the whole it has been eight years of pure hell where we were trying mm -hmm. to get justice from carry on. We, um, we appeared in court, uh, in small claims court against them and several times at the lot. So I just uh, was wondering you say that this has been eight years of your life, which is which is really horrifying. Do you have an estimate, kind of like how much time in a in a week, maybe, especially a week where you were particularly involved in this? How many hours in your day, maybe, were you spending on this? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> it was almost impossible to track. Thousands of hours of research, uh, literally. I mean, mm -hmm. it went off for eight years. There's between Nicole and I, we have seven thousand emails on this situation. It has just been a whole bunch of sleepless nights. I literally went to our township, to the ombuds, Ontario Ombudsman, to Terry on Ombudsman, and we just went, we just talked to a lot of people, and we tried to get, went to the ministries, we got no help from anybody. We, we I contacted engineers, architects, 
we tried to get a, a dozen law firms to see if mm-hmm. any of them would take our case, and uh, we ended up having to do it ourselves mm-hmm. because we got no help from anybody. It was absolutely un- impossible for anyone that's not gone through the process to imagine the number of professionals that would line up against you. It is mm-hmm. it is just literally impossible to believe. Can I ask? Um, I know you you were you know trying to hire engineers and other experts. Do you know about how much you spent? I can tell you that in the end, we ended up fixing the house ourselves. I can also tell you that Carry On and the builder caused over $300,000 in expenditures by various courts and through their lawyers and everything, more than $300,000 to not fix the problem, to fight us, instead of trying to work with us to fix the problem. So uh, speaking about the LAT and that experience, what can you talk a little bit about what it's actually like? Um, you mentioned you and Nicole have been before them multiple times, especially the first time maybe. What was that like to stand up on your own and go in this courtroom and face this tribunal? Well, you you you, you go in there, well, especially the first time, thinking that you're going to get justice, thinking that there's a person there whose duty is uh, to try to assist you. In fact, the lat, at that time, uh, that was in 2013, the lat rule said that, that she would sit down with us and we would, she would answer our questions and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, it was nothing of this sort. In fact, at the very first time, we brought a motion for relief, and the mm-hmm. adjudicator said she at the time that she would not hear our motion that day. And then when, when we left, she actually made a decision on the motion that we brought that she never heard. You know, when you step inside that courtroom and you're on your own and you see the other side, they're very well represented. What does that feel like? Like, literally, what are the emotions that that that, that causes in you? Well, again, as I say, the first time, you know, you feel that uh, you have right on your side. I mean, so I was relatively comfortable the first time. Mm-hmm. But then as the years go by, your naivety, if I could call it that, is lost. Mm-hmm. Your innocence is lost. You go up against these well-represented parties, two of them, the Builder and Terrion. As a self-represented right. person, they don't, don't listen to you. So I said, okay, there's no hope. And after mm. five days of a grueling, very grueling procedures, you know, you won't be in court, trying to talk, trying to be heard for five days, and then have them shout you down, and the lat adjudicator not stand, stand up for your rights, we were forced to withdraw. Have you felt a, a relief being out of that process? I mean, I know it's so frustrating that you went through all of that and have so little to show, but I hope that the things are better now and that you're experiencing some relief. Well, uh, there was a, a momentary relief in, in some sense, but even that was short-lived because then Terion came after us for costs. If you, you know, could speak to somebody who's going through this process, what would you say? Well, I would say in spite of everything, some people that have gotten relief at the lot, and just like us, we had no choice. That person may also not have a choice. All you can do is to do your best, and some people do win. Now, we, we had very bad experience ourselves, but we, our expectations were perhaps naive, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And perhaps if people go with it, try to listen to bad experiences that are out there and just try to organize and present themselves as best they can, some people do win. 
Mm-hmm. That's one of the big, most important things. Life is not mm-hmm. fair, and life certainly is not fair. Is that the, that most of the time, people, judges, and etc., will tell you, well, you don't understand the process. Your expectations are the problem. Having said that, just that, that that is, you know, but these professionals, they know that people who are inexperienced or who are not professionals, they can be blamed. And that's one of the things that is the most hardest thing to take is when people tell you, well, you see, you don't understand. You're too stupid to understand the law. And that's what it is. I understand the Ontario New Home Warranty Plan Act the way it's written. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time and speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. In other news, Legal Assistance of Windsor's We Fight Anti-Human Trafficking Program received an Attorney General's Victim Services Award of Distinction on April 12th. Shelley Gilbert and Robin Hodge were in Toronto on behalf of We Fight to receive the award. Legal Assistance of Windsor, or LAW, is a clinical learning project out of Windsor Law School. Since 2002, the We Fight project has provided immediate assistance to survivors of human trafficking so that they can access services and assistance without being further stigmatized. We Fight was one of the first organizations in Canada to identify and develop a support program for survivors of human trafficking, building partnerships with nurses, law enforcement, addiction workers, local shelters, and youth probation services to ensure supports are available to address victims' complex and diverse needs. As Marion Overholt, executive director of both LAW and Community Legal Aid, puts it, We are immensely proud of this program and applaud the initiative, innovation, and courage that our team exhibits on a daily basis to provide this essential service to survivors of human trafficking. Congratulations to the Legal Assistance of Windsor and the We Fight team. In addition to the NSRLP's own 2017 SRL intake report, which we released on April 15th, Another report has been making the rounds online, looking specifically at self-represented litigants in the state of Virginia. This report is by the National Center for State Courts, with research primarily undertaken by the legal aid organization Blue Ridge Legal Services. This study on SRLs in Virginia appears to be the second study of its kind in the U.S., and comes to many similar conclusions as Julie's 2013 original report on self-represented litigants. One quote from the new study says... The traditional scenario, where both parties are represented by attorneys, occurred in just 1% of the civil cases disposed of by Virginia's general district courts in 2016, and in just 6% of cases in juvenile and domestic relations district courts. Given how widespread the SRL phenomenon is, the justice system and legal profession need to develop effective ways of encouraging access to justice. We hope that continuing research will force lawmakers in different jurisdictions to acknowledge that the system needs change. As always, you can find links related to these stories and to our main topic, Tarion and the Licensing Appeal Tribunal, on our website, representingyourselfcanada.com slash podcast. And that's it for Jumping Off the Ivory Tower this week. Join us next week when we'll be talking about the UK's independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, at which Julie testified as an abuse survivor last month.